0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Holmes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers for DC. I'm joined today on The Echo Chamber by David Wolfe, who is Managing Director of Allison Partners Global China Practice. David is a specialist, really, in public relations in China, not an expert, because as we know, there are no China experts. Um, But David is someone who has has lived and worked in China for many years and has now written a book on public relations in China. And in fact, he has been on our podcast before talking about some of the ethical concerns facing the PR industry in that country. David, welcome.
1: Thanks, Arun. How are you this
0: morning? Um, I'm very well. Afternoon over here, but uh, but morning for you. Um, Your book, Public Relations in China, is not only of interest, I think, to people interested in China, but I think people interested in public relations in general, because uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that I think is relevant um, to people working in public relations around the world. But specifically, why did you decide to write this book?
1: It's a great question, And, and I'll tell you, the reason that I decided to write it was that I had found myself and my colleagues frequently found themselves over all the years that we have been doing public relations in china spending a significant amount of time trying to close the gap in understanding between what people on the ground understood the 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 pr situation to be understood the the media situation to be understood the government situation to be versus what that perception was at HQ. Now, for many, many years, particularly during the 80s and the 90s, that perception gap didn't make a whole lot of difference. And the reason for that was China was such a little tiny bump on the backside of the Asia business that nobody at HQ really paid attention to it. Very few people at Asia level really paid attention to it. And so everybody said, well, okay, PR in China, you guys go ahead and take care of that over there. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's a very different situation today. For a lot of businesses today, China is the tail that wags the dog. and So HQ is very much involved in what's happening in China. And this is especially the case for companies that are new to the market, regardless of their size. Mm-hmm. I was spending an awful lot of time doing what I would call China PR 101 for executives. I mean, this is the reason that I now spend so much of my time in the United States is because I'm doing a lot of this sort of bringing people up to speed. I just thought, God, wouldn't it be great if there was a book that I could hand people Mm. that they read and they could, they could be up to speed enough so that there wouldn't be this disconnect between them and their local teams or between them and what the real situation on the ground was. And that's Mm. really why I wrote that was to close that gap. Mm. And let us all get on with creating effective programs mm. rather than educating each other.
0: Wouldn't it be great if there was a book you could sell people?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be great if, uh, wouldn't it be great if I could clone myself? And But I mean, that's the whole point. And, and so, mm. you know, was, was to create this and to say, look, here is your, your, your masterclass, if you will, in what not only a list of differences between PR and China, PR in in, in everywhere else in the world or in the West, if you will. Um, But here is what the differences are and why. Because the context, I mean, as you know, because you spent a lot of time over there, the context and the why and all the background is every bit as important as knowing the the differences. Mm. And I wanted to do that in a way that was approachable, that was conversational, that didn't feel like a management textbook and that people could pick up on when they were getting on the plane at JFK and have read, if not all, most the way through by the time they landed in Beijing. That was really the whole goal of the book.
0: Sure. And you start the book by saying that public relations in China is, is more important than ever for, for foreign companies, mm. which are, you know, in particular what, what you're focusing on in this book. Um, why do you feel that's the case, given that China's economy has now, in, in you know, to put it one way, has emerged uh, and is, is, is better understood is a big part of everyone's business. Um, Why is public relations still so difficult to get right?
1: I think the reason is because uh, partly because China has changed and continues to change so quickly. The minute we think we've got a bead on how PR needs to be done in China, um, the, the market's moved on. And what we are facing now is very different than what we were looking at 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we were looking at people who didn't even know the names of the companies that we're, we're trying to sell in, but who believed mm-hmm. that because it was foreign, it was a better company, who believed that because it was foreign that they could trust them. Mm-hmm. Here we are today, 2015, and there is a growing skepticism among Chinese about companies in general, but specifically about foreign companies. There is a growing local nationalism mm-hmm. where people are starting to believe, uh, I don't know if the foreign companies have my best interests in mind, and if I can choose a Chinese brand, I will. Um, and there is a growing skepticism, particularly in the government and among policymakers, that having all these foreign companies around taking all this money away is a great idea. Mm. And, the, and and so we really are facing an environment that has gone from open but not too sophisticated. It's sophisticated, cynical, and probably a little hostile, and and that's why public relations has become so essential.
0: Indeed, I mean, it does feel like the uh, the halcyon years, if they ever existed, for foreign companies in China, uh, are over.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: It's it's interesting because I don't think certainly if you're an external observer, it's just interesting to see uh, a country move away from foreign companies. I mean, it's. It's like the exact opposite of, of what happens in every other emerging market, it seems. Um, and, and that alone, I mean, is, is, is probably worthy of a book. But how do you think that has changed the way that foreign companies are um, or, or should be conducting their public relations in China? What are the things they need to be more sensitive about?
1: They need to recognize that um, they, need, they, they no longer can assume that they will be welcome just by virtue of being foreign. Mm. They now have to recognize that they have to earn and re-earn the right every single day, really. It's not an exaggeration. You've got to continuously earn and re-earn the right to be allowed to do business in China because the perception is, is this among both policymakers and among the people. Okay, you're here doing business. Why should we give you our patronage and on the part of of the people on the part of your your customers it's why should we buy from you instead of buy from say a local firm or um, why should we buy from you instead of doing it ourselves with the the government why should we allow you to come in here and take all this money away what are you bringing what are you giving to us that's unique that we should allow you as a foreign company to do business here because you know uh, God bless China, and, and you know, I'm my 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 wife is Chinese, my my son is Chinese, who certainly considers himself the same, and um, my my in laws are. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that if you scratch your average Chinese, there is a xenophobe not too deeply underneath, and that's the result of a lot of what's happened over the last 150 years. Um, we've we've sort of earned that to a degree, but that's also been exacerbated by. The way people have been brought up and the perceptions that people have developed because of um, you know, the teachings of the party and everything like that. Mm. And so that ingrained skepticism about things from, from, from overseas is once again coming to the surface.
0: Yeah, right. and, and clearly it seems to be, it's being encouraged as well, I think. Yes. Um, now, and, and, and we've seen, for example, companies, you know, GSK, I think the most obvious example, um, being caught up in in the various uh, corruption investigations in China, and I, presumably that's a that's an, an example of, of of the trend that that you're describing.
1: Oh, indeed. I mean, you look at GSK, and you know the reason that they did the things that they allegedly did um, was because really, Arun, everybody in the business is doing it, and mm. it was a matter of. If we don't do some of these things, we simply cannot do business in China. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, this is the way the, the industry by and large has been operating. Um, but it was it's always easier and safer for the government to go after a foreigner, to go after a foreign company and say, you end these practices now. And as a warning to everyone else, including local firms, don't you guys start up on this, right? Then it would be for them to go after the locals first. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just politically more palatable. Um, And the other thing is, is foreign companies in many of these markets are the biggest players anyway. So if you're going to change the practices, start with the foreigners. And that's that's before we even get into questions of, oh, well, let's go after the foreigners because we want to create a protected market for our own people. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. That's that's always a potential issue out there. But all of these Mm -hmm. factors come together. And what they mean is they mean that we now have, every day, as foreign companies, we now have to prove that we should be doing business in China and that we're we're worthy of the consideration of customers and that we're worthy of the support of policymakers. Mm-hmm.
0: And how well understood do you think this is in, for example, U.S. Inc.? Um, because are they really, you know, are they aware that, that the welcome mat is no longer out in China, you know, this this is a country that obviously acceded to the WTO uh, 14 years ago. Um, But it's clear that that foreign companies are, are, I don't know if tolerated is the right word, um, but certainly not as welcome as they once were. Uh, How is that impacting the way US companies are thinking about the market?
1: You know, it's fascinating. A lot of U.S. companies look at, look at that fact. Those who understand that, and I have to say, those who, who will understand that much, that the welcome mat has been rolled up, that the door, if not closed, is a jar, and there's a 50-pound sack of rice behind it, mm-hmm. um, they already make up a minority of companies out there. Um, but even among the, people, the, the companies that understand that, um, it just seems like everyone I talk to believes, yeah, 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 we understand that that's an issue, but that doesn't really apply to us because X. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is it applies to everybody. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It doesn't matter what industries you serve. It, that is the macro environment for everyone. Because even if you're doing great things for this industry over here, there's a whole lot of policymakers and other people over there who look at you and say, I don't understand why we need those guys here. You know? Why should we have them in this country? They're simply taking stuff away. There are people who understand implicitly why Intel, for example, has to be a part of the Chinese economy. Okay? And there are those who get it and go, oh man, we really need to start making our own microprocessors because we can't keep letting these guys make money here. You know? Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies for Apple and for companies like GSK. Mm -hmm. Um, So nobody's an exception. And, and that's, that's what I think the, the, the issue everyone has to get over is.
0: Um, it's easy, I think, for foreign companies to, in, in, under these conditions, um, take on a, a kind of victim mentality. Do you see
1: that at all? I do. And you know where that, that, that actually comes out is in some of the, uh, the lobbying and the door knocking that happens with um, the various chambers mm. and associations. Where um, you know there are real grievances. Now, at the same time, you know there's there's pushback and saying, "Come on, you guys are making a fortune over there," and there are a lot of companies, um, you know, that do very well over there. And so that that dampens the 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 sort of um, lobbying effort. But at mm. the end of the day, you you, know, you can't depend on lobbying. And I mm. cover this a lot in the book. You can't depend yeah. on lobbying and door knocks. You really have to approach this at a to the greatest extent possible at a micro level at at the very least you have to approach it as industry groupings but more important you have to approach it as as uh, as an individual company mm-hmm. how do you deal with as a as an individual firm with that macro environment
0: mm. i mean it sounds like what you're describing really is public relations in the truest sense of the term i mean in in, in many countries i think companies have um, have grown accustomed to frankly, just being able to release products um, and lead with with product communication and then, you know, separate their corporate communication and use that to demonstrate that they're not really just in this for profit. Um, But in China, everything has got to be joined up, it seems.
1: It does. And, in fact, in China, everything, not only does everything that you say and do in China have to be joined up, everything that you say and do around the world has Mm -hmm. to be joined up, you know, because... You know, we're, you know, when I first went to China, you didn't. nobody really read the foreign newspapers, right, because they simply weren't available. There was no Internet. And, you know, it was such an issue that the there was a department in the government that did nothing for the senior leaders except to prepare a precy of all the global coverage having to do with China every day and provide that to the senior leaders. Okay. That's how isolated China was. And that's the degree to which you could say, well, you know, We can just focus on China as China. You can't do that anymore because the information flows back and forth. You run an article in the Holmes Report, and believe it or not, chances are pretty good that some guy who's running a site about the PR industry in China is going to come scoop it up, translate it, and run it as his own work. Oh, that's happened. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right? So that illustrates that not only is the barrier gone, okay, there is no membrane, but that everything that gets said, even in, in, in our fun little industry here, OK, everything that gets written that is of significance to China is going to find its way into China. So and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared that when you're addressing a China issue, that you address it from a global standpoint, mm-hmm. because nothing exists in, in, in a vacuum anymore.
0: Mm. Do the people, does the talent exist um, to really help companies? uh with this kind of this wide and deep range of public relations challenges?
1: Um, That's a hard question to answer. I mean, the answer is does the talent exist? Absolutely it does. Is there enough of it to go around? Um, That's the problem. Mm. Uh, I think the reason that um, the deck is stacked so very much in favor of engaging agencies versus building an internal team is that the resources are so scarce and they require such an effort to find that most companies cannot afford to simply undertake the effort if they're really looking to build a quality PR team and not just, you know, arms and legs. I think that at some point in 10 or 15 years we'll reach a stage where that's starting to redress itself. But the sheer speed of growth... Mm-hmm. Um, has has just overwhelmed, and you know, putting it in the big picture, that's not just PR. Um, that's happened with with all uh, marketing and communications um, uh, disciplines, and it's you know, there's there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of deadwood out there uh, in our business, and um, that's by necessity. It's just because sometimes people are just hiring to to, to get bodies, but it does mean that. Um, for the moment, agencies tend to have an upper hand because they do have repositories of talented people. The challenge for agencies, of course, in a talent-scarce environment, is hanging on to those people, is holding those things together for a period of time. So it is a war for talent out there. And you know, my urging for every company that goes to China is jump in as quickly as you can and start looking for that good fit. I've got a terrific client, a client that, anyone would dream to work for. And I won't mention them by name because it sounds way too much like a, like a like an advertisement. But they're wonderful people, love them to death, they're an exciting industry, um, very high profile. And it literally took them nine months to find their China PR manager.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's just one person.
1: <laughs> and, that, and that's just one person. And now they're, they're looking, you know, we've had a discussion and they said to me, God, if we need to add another person, what are we going to do? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the answer, unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you sit, is it really does come down to not only having agencies, but knowing how to get the most out of an agency so that you're not simply, you know, getting their arms and legs, you're getting their best people, too. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, some of the agencies I've spoken to um, have said that the, the climate that exists in China now for foreign companies hasn't necessarily been all that conducive for them, even though you'd think that it would, it would help them. They found that you know some foreign companies are not necessarily spending as much and they are maybe, maybe saying and doing less.
1: I think there's an awful lot of companies who take short-term approaches to China, who take mm-hmm. um, quarter-by-quarter, year-by-year approaches to China, um i've worked with companies that have come into china that have started building a business there that where things have just started to get off the ground and then something happens that has nothing to do with their actual business on the ground and then they pull out and then they come back in again a year year or two later china absolutely abhors those types of companies when i say china i don't mean the chinese government i mean the chinese people the chinese people can tell when you're a fair weather friend Mm -hmm. yeah um but, but this is a phenomenon that every time some, some sort of hiccup happens, particularly like, oh, gosh, well, the Chinese, you know, Chinese growth is only 7%. Let's not spend as much time looking at China. Let's go to uh, India. Well, hmm. that happens a lot. The companies mm-hmm. that really tend to do well in China are the ones who, when the going gets tough, they double down. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the firms that year in, year out, do very well in China. Um, you look at Coca-Cola, you look at Boeing, you look at uh, Intel, um, you know, you look at firms like that who have been doing well in China, Hewlett Packard, right, um, a name we don't talk a lot about in the West, but still doing very, very well in China. Um, the reason is is because even when times seem to indicate that they should, they should ratchet back, um, they double down, they increase their commitment. They focus on using that time to to get ahead of competitors, and to really demonstrate to the Chinese people that they are focused on the market and focused on what they care about, and that's a business strategy decision. But it's a business strategy decision with huge PR ramifications. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is not the time to give up on China. I'll tell you. And um, if if you're ratcheting back on your budgets in China, you're probably doing it at just the wrong time.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, y- y- there's a chapter in, in your book about government relations, which, which is um, obviously, you know, c- critical in China, and um, probably more important in, in China than many other countries. Um, but you write that the, the kind of uh, conventional idea of, um, of government relations, of lobbying of public affairs is, is fading away, you know, this idea of the Guangxi masters. Um, and I wondered if you could maybe talk a little about that. First of all, what that means, uh, and secondly, why that whole idea of uh, of, of relationships and, and, and networking in that way is, is slowly declining.
1: For a long time in China, um, the, neither the government, no, nobody in the government really understood who was who in international business. They didn't know who they could trust. Uh, They didn't even know the right people to talk to. Um, And more importantly, they didn't know who was credible and who they could grant the ability to do business in China without putting their own careers at risk. And so for a very long time, particularly throughout the late 1970s and early 1980s, what was really important was to have a relationship with a person or persons very highly placed in China, who could either vouch for you or who knew you well enough to say, great, I, I trust these people. And that's where we get this whole um, business belief that it's not what you know in China, it's who you know. And Guanxi will get you just about anywhere you need to go. So as long as you know the guy who walks Xi Jinping's dog every day um, and can, can, can mention to his boss, oh, by the way, boss. XYZ company from from Cupertino is really good. You should you should trust them. Then everything would be fine for you. For many years that was the case because there was no other way for them to know and there was no other modus operandi between working with the with, for working between a government and a foreign commercial entity. There was just no way. Mm-hmm. That over time has changed. There are ways that are in place right now. Many of them driven from a regulatory basis where we know how to work from one company to 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 the government. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that governments are less inclined to spend time with foreign companies. There have been regulations passed that limit the amount of, of interaction and the nature of interaction between government officials and international enterprises, curtailing it heavily. You know, we no longer see on on, on TV every night pictures of you know, the premier shaking hands with some Fortune 500 CEO that used to be, you know, the meat and potatoes of, of, uh, of the nightly news. That stopped in the late 1990s under John Zemin. They just put the kibosh on it because they didn't want relationships between Chinese leaders and foreign companies to be so cozy, certainly not to be perceived as so cozy. So that's pulled back. And then finally, you know, we've had now 30 odd years of experience but working with uh, the, the, the government has had 30 odd years of experience working with foreign companies and so they know what the, the score is with these guys they know how to tell who the good guys are from the bad guys and so there's just no need for that ongoing interaction you have to find other ways therefore to guide policy to influence policy or at the very least just to have your voice heard um, and to do it in a way that doesn't look nefarious in the process mm. you know Um, the, the coziness between government and, and big business is a bad thing anywhere in the world. Um, it is, it is no less bad in China. And in fact, it's ideologically frowned upon in the first place. Mm. So you have to find other ways to, to guide that process. And that's, it's that process that I try to lay out in my book.
0: Mm -hmm. but presumably from an ethical perspective, this is good for agencies.
1: It's essential for agencies um, because, and and you and I could could take off and we could bore our listeners to death on issues of ethics and PR in China because it is an immense topic. But yes, this is one of those things that's gonna force agencies to start doing business in a different way. And this is one of those areas where, particularly one very large agency of our mutual acquaintance has found itself tripped up, where it's believed that by getting closer to the center of power that it would be able to offer not only do, do well for itself, but more importantly, to be able to offer an advantage to clients. Um, in, in, in painful reality, it's it's more of the Icarus effect. The, the closer you fly to the sun, the, the quicker and, and more, more painfully you will crash to the ground. Um, so you cannot be in the guanxi business. You cannot be selling your proximity to the government or the proximity of a couple of your people to the government, that's simply not on. It's not effective and it's dangerous. What's much more effective is an approach of understanding where the policy is going, where policymakers are thinking, what's keeping them up at night, and aligning yourself and the company with the challenges that they face and being able to position yourself as, if not part of the solution, a solution to the problem. I mean, that's that's the way you earn your way in. Um, it's not easy. It's not as easy as sitting down and having dinner with a senior official, um, but it's much more accessible, and it's a it's a better, cleaner, um, more effective in the long-term process.
0: Mm. Interesting. Ha, ha, just sticking with agencies just for a moment before we talk mm. about the media, do you feel that the specific conditions um, that have grown up around public relations in China have maybe forced you know, international agencies at least to grow up in the country in a certain way um, and maybe in a way that has isn't as healthy for their long-term uh, prospects.
1: I, I do. Um, I think that uh, there are certain things that, that agencies are, feel compelled to do ethically um, mm-hmm. in order to um, either compete with local agencies who have no compunctions about doing anything, frankly, mm-hmm. Um, and have even run very seriously afoul of the Chinese government. Mm. And um, they feel compelled to, to, to behave in that way, just in order to, to, to be able to offer what they feel is, is a competitive product. I think that is one of our great failings as an industry, is being able to separate what you need to do in order to operate in China and those behaviors that... Will in the long run either come and bite us, or will will eventually bite our clients? I, I think we've we as a as an industry have been far too short sighted.
0: Mm. In that, sure, and, and but even so, I mean, now that there's you know there's there's laws in the U.S. and the U.K. and I think in France as well. I mean it. It seems like it must be very difficult for agencies that are that are kind of contemplating that sort of path. Um, it's, it's not a world, as you said, where you can confine these actions to China and, and and hope that that's where they will remain.
1: It's it's going to be something that everyone confronts. You know, we see one big agency go through this, and we all sort of laugh up our sleeves and schadenfreude. Yeah, hey, well, ha, 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 they had it coming. Well, guess what? Mm. You know, um, the finger of fate is coming your way. Mm-hmm. and. We all have to clean up our acts now and help our clients clean up theirs. That's hard, okay, because that forces us to say, we need to change the way that we practice the craft. Mm. And nobody wants to do that. Everybody's dumb, fat, and happy making money the way that they're making, and they're not going to change anything until um, the, the Public Security Bureau comes knocking, unfortunately. The companies that are going to survive, the agencies, pardon me, that are going to survive and do very, very well in China are the companies that get the message now, that have seen what has happened to one very large, very powerful agency and get the clue and start changing the way that they practice PR so as to avoid these issues in the future. And that, that starts with government relations, certainly, but even more critically, how we conduct relationships with the media. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Now, let's talk about the media. That's a good segue. Um, (laughs) But in particular, I want to talk about crisis, actually. I mean, Hmm. we are, um, hopefully some of our listeners are familiar with um, CCTV's National Consumer Day, where, um, as far as I can tell, the uh, the China state broadcaster decides to um, select a foreign company and then see what kind of, um, of crisis, um, can, can befall that company for either it's poor service or it's poor products. And, you know, sometimes it's warranted, but oftentimes it looks like it's blown way out of proportion. Either way, these kinds of crises, uh, seem to be becoming more frequent. Um, but they don't seem to be, you know, there's no decline in, um, how badly they can impact a company in China. You write that, uh, for, companies, for foreign companies in China, each crisis almost seems like a, an existential one. Um, why is that the case?
1: It's the case because the Chinese government has the wherewithal to um, remove a company's uh, ability to do business in China um, without due process, um, without any form of appeal. Um, they can simply say, all right, we don't like how you're doing business here. We'll either remove your ability to do business here, or we will fine you so heavily, and or and we will create conditions so strict that your business here will be almost impossible to continue in a profitable way. Um, and they can do that in a heartbeat. And it's it's the fear that every executive uh, who runs a business in China carries in his heart or her heart as. Um, we go about our business every day. Mm. It is that knowledge or that belief um, that the hammer can fall at any time and for any reason, and, and for no reason whatsoever. And God help us if we give him a reason, you know, to do so, to 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 take away our ability to do business. That's what's different in China than different in all, than in almost any other market in the world. That even if we respond to a crisis with alacrity and with perfection, the government can look at us and say, nope you didn't do well or here's something worse imagine you're a company and you're in a joint venture with a huge local firm mm-hmm. and that huge lo- you and there's a crisis and the huge local firm partner says to you hey guys don't worry about it we got it covered and in fact don't you do anything because if you do anything you're going to you're going to upend our partnership and we're going to close the partnership down so what are you going to do you're going to listen to your partner you're going to say all right let him handle it and then what they do is they throw you under the bus. Mm-hmm. And this has happened. Um, it's it's happened to a, most recently, to a very large Fortune 500 company in the oil patch. And um, that happens, you know, let's, let's throw the foreigners under the bus. Even though, in fact, it was not the fault of, of the international company. Um, yeah. it, they became the convenient scapegoat. That is a crisis for them that became so serious that the CEO had to go over there and spend a considerable amount of time, um, literally kowtowing just to keep his business, keep himself in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not this is not a, a tiny firm. This is but this is a firm that China believed if we need to, we can do without.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the other
1: thing is this 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 growing belief that China doesn't need us as much as we need them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know if you saw what happened in Seattle when Xi Jinping. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I was. I was just going to bring that up. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I mean, seriously, what that was—that was brilliant political theater. Mm -hmm. Okay, probably the single best point that the Chinese made on the whole trip. Mm -hmm. Okay, you need us more than we need you.
0: Yeah, I mean, all these companies lining up to shake his hand. None of them, I think, are. I mean, well, some of them aren't even allowed into China.
1: Um, uh, And shake their hand and ask them to name their children. (laughs) I I look at that and I think, oh, my Lord. You know, (laughs) Lord McCartney is twisting in his grave at this moment. You know, It's, it's like, how is it that we have fallen to this point? But, you know, because I believe that every company, no matter what their goals are in China, needs to retain a degree of dignity and needs to retain a degree of self-respect because if you throw yourself on the floor, you will not earn the respect mm-hmm. of the, people on the other side. They will simply say, ha, ha, "We we pwned this guy." Okay, yeah, he's he right. Um, and that's not the way to go into China. The way to go into China and the way to address China is from a position of strength, mm-hmm. not arrogance. Okay, not high-handedness, but good, friendly strength. And, you know, that's the focus of my whole book. Go in strong and stay strong, right? But, but be very aware in everything that you do that these conditions are switching and that you're in a hostile environment. But yeah, oh, what brilliant political theater that was.
0: Right, last question. Um, talk, tell us a little bit about how the media in China has changed, because it does seem, uh, as we've discussed, like the, the domestic media in China is also much more hostile towards foreign companies.
1: Uh, the, the, the media in China, is just the, the change has been tremendous in, in a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, um, back in the old days, and I mean like in the 90s, God, I feel old. Um, in the old days, it really, the media was all about, listen, we have space to fill. Everybody gets a quota of space to fill, and you guys fill it with whatever you want just because we have to fill it. Hmm. It's much different now. Um, that was the old days when most of the media were state supported, and it didn't really matter how many people bought a copy, and there was practically no advertising anyway. Today, it's very commercial. It's all about users and advertising. And so we have two different kinds of media in China. We have the kind of media in China that are driven by great stories, and we have the kind of media in China that are driven by sensationalism. And all of them operate to one degree or another um, under the control of. Um, or under the supervision, I should say, of the government, not control. We, we never want to exaggerate the degree of, of government involvement as the media industries become more commercial. Um, what this has meant is a significant shift in the way that media cover uh, foreign companies. It means that no longer can we simply bring 500 media into a press conference hand them all a red envelope with 200 renminbi in it, which is, you know, about Mm. uh, 30 U.S. dollars, um, and expect them to go and write a nice story on us. More and more of the media are now looking for ways to poke holes in foreign media. For the simple reason is this. We've now got a generation of young journalists who want to make their name as journalists. Mm. And in many cases, as investigative, strong, powerful journalists. They look at some of the great investigative journalists in the West and say, yes, I want to do that. They can't aim their journalistic strength, mm. their, 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 their nose and their pen at the government. Mm. And it's, it can be very dangerous to aim, <laughs> to aim it at local firms. There, there have been journalists who have been beaten up or have even disappeared for doing exposés of, of, uh, of local enterprises. Mm-hmm. But those foreign companies, weapons free. They are the, the juiciest target. There's more to write about them. They get not only local but global attention, and they don't get themselves in trouble with government by writing about foreign firms and by writing negatively about foreign firms. So we're the targets very much now. And instead of having instead of facing a room full of what one person once characterized as journalistic lapdogs, we are now facing increasingly Rooms full of people that are every bit as tough as the the hardened denizens of Fleet Street. You know, mm-hmm. we are looking at really tough, very cynical people, who believe it is their remit to go and find problems with foreign companies, their actions, their behavior, their of their individual employees, and their plans for China. Mm-hmm. Um, very very different day now, and you know, again, foreign companies are an especial target, not just another target in a in a, in a room full of it. So. We're facing the toughest journalists that this generation of Chinese can can create, mm-hmm. and that is a challenge that forces us to rethink the way that we do um, the way that we we, we do uh, media relations. There's one other factor I want to bring up, and and, and I know we're we're pressed on time, and that is that you, these young journalists they also want to write big, important, flashy stories, and so the question is is does it make more sense? to have a press conference with 50 or 100 people in order to get your point across or does it make more sense to sit down with one or two or three journalists who are going to give you an absolutely killer story? Hmm. That changes the entire nature of media relations. It changes the entire nature of the agency and it changes the entire nature of um, the the department that you build internally. and of course, all of this is happening against the background of social media and key opinion leaders starting to displace media in the overall importance for PR people.
0: Hmm. It's. I mean, it's. It just sounds like, it's. It's a hard. It's a hard time for foreign companies, in China. Um, what would you say is the biggest? The last question. What would you say is the biggest? misperception that foreign companies have about public relations in China?
1: Um, I think the biggest misperception is that it's simply about hurting media. Mm. That it's just about getting a bunch of media in, um, giving them a, a very basic story or a press release and then sending them off to write it that, you know, if you get 500 journalists yeah. <clears throat> writing the same story about you and putting it in 500 different publications, that that's going to move the needle. Um, if it ever did, it does no longer. Um, and it's really time for us to rethink what PR is. PR is a different kind of media relations in China, yes. PR is social media in China, yes. PR is engaging key opinion leaders, engaging the government, and changing the way the company behaves, okay, first and foremost. Um, it's not just media relations and so until such time as as we get executives to understand that the person who gets the needs and and expectations of a company's stakeholders better than everybody else deserves a role in the decision-making process um, we're going to have problems in china until you've got a pr person that you can put in your boardroom who will tell you we need to behave according to the way our stakeholders expect us to behave nothing's going to change, and PR will not move the needle. Mm-hmm. As PR people, we have to earn the right to do that. Companies have to be open to us playing that role.
0: Okay, so I would recommend everyone reads this book, um, Public Relations in China. When is it out?
1: Um, it is, I am told, I just received the email. It is officially available um, this week, so this will be the okay. week of the 12th. Yeah. All right. um, we're, we're doing our big launch next week.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, good luck with that. And thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to have you back on soon.
1: Thanks, Arun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.